0: As we uh, close our program year, okay, that is heading at the end of the month of June, I want to take two weeks, this week and next week, to talk about our mission as a church. Both what is our mission as a church? You know, we took a survey two weeks ago, and at least those who took it, you know, uh, probably half of the people in the seats on a Sunday morning, a little more. Um, Said 45% of the people that took it have only been at this church for five years or less. So um, I'm, I think we all need to, to, to remind ourselves, some of us for the first time, not only what our mission is, but how that mission is supposed to become your mission right? It's an individual mission. We're supposed to carry that mission on in our everyday life, every single one of us who is a Christ follower. So we're going to do that this week and next week. Our passage is Matthew chapter 10. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can open it there, and we'll get there in just a second. But I start this short series with the, this story, Megan's story, because really what you just saw in that three-minute video illustrates um, perfectly Everything that I want to say, both the theological truth and the challenge and the personal uh, truths, everything that I want to say uh, this week and next week, that life story, Megan's story, illustrates it perfectly. Um, You know, to become a Christian, what does it really mean to become a Christian? It's to have your life changed at the deepest level of. Who you are, where you feel loved or unloved, where you feel worthy or unworthy. And this genuine encounter, right, with the gospel that we're talking about, that happened um, in this case, many of you, but we just saw it illustrated on that video, right? After the storm, I love that line. I can tell you one thing after the storm, the grace of God follows. Okay, that's a great. Summary of the Gospel, but the funny thing is, the true thing is that that amazing reality i don 't know that there 's a greater reality in all the world at least I, maybe everyone wouldn 't agree, but whatever it is you know getting meeting your wife, having a child, you know, even the ups and downs right i don 't know that there is a greater reality than somebody coming whether you 're a, a girl in, 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 a, in a small town in, in India or a man or a woman, or a student in western New York, or anywhere in between, where someone comes in contact with the, the reality of the gospel message. I'm talking about religion here, but truly experiences in the deepest part of who they are a kind of love. In the deepest part of who they are, a kind of freedom. In the deepest part of who they are, a kind of forgiveness and a power. That kind of experience, right, is the greatest reality there is. And and, and believe it or not, the Bible says that this very precious, this most amazing commodity, the delivery system for 2,000 years is everyday people. Broken people, selfish people, sinners in process people like you and like me and like the friend from the past who said to Megan at this such a time as last summer, why don't you um, come and hear a message, right? And God used just a regular old church service with a regular old pastor and regular old people, right? This is how it works, guys. Sometimes we, are, are, we think the wrong way. Where We, we live in such a, a celebrity culture. We, we, we tend to think that everything has to look a certain way and be a certain way, and we miss what's right in front of us. God works through everyday people to bring about the most precious and beautiful thing. And that's you and that's me where we live today, where we work today, where we do life today. Matthew chapter 10 it's it, it, a, theolo- a theologian or a Bible scholar would, would call it the Sermon on Mission, but I'm going to call it, for our purposes, Your Mission. That's the title of this sermon. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, selected verses, so buckle up and get ready and follow along as I read some selected verses from Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Your Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 16. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given What to say. But the spirit of your father, um, excuse me, for you will not be speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I, Jesus, tell you in the dark, you speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So... God cares about you is the point. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Your mission. What is Jesus saying to his disciples and by extension saying to you and me about the mission of the church? First thing is this, you need to learn to take hold of God's power, right? Do you know how to do that? Do I know how to do that? That's what this passage is talking about. Yes, it's serious talk. Yes, it's big boy talk. They're, they may, not in our case, but in their case, they're gonna flog you in synagogues. They're gonna bring you forth before important people, kings and, 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 you know, and, and, and royal people to say, why do you believe what you believe, right? You, know, you need to, this is serious business. But, but relax in a manner of speaking because it's not you that's speaking I'm not sending you out on your own. I'm not throwing you into a place that I've not equipped you to deal with the challenges that will come your way. It's the Spirit of God speaking through your Father. Now, we're going to take this a little out of order. We've been Some of you, if you haven't been here or don't remember, prior to the post-Easter series, um, we've been in the book of Matthew. We're going to continue probably all the way through Easter of next year, the Gospel of Matthew. So we're back in it. But we're doing it in reverse order. We're doing chapter 10 this week and next week for this special one-two-two two sermon message. But then beginning July the 7th, for, through July through the end of August, we're gonna go through Matthews 8 and 9, and it's, on, it's a, ser- a sermon on miracles. For two chapters, Jesus performs miracles, but I tell you this, if we took them in order, this is what you'd discover. And maybe you'll discover it over the course of the summer. Matthew 8, 9, and 10. Here's what happens in Matthew 8 and 9. The disciples are with Jesus, and he's, there's, I think there's 10 miracles in there, I mean, they're amazing, two chapters. And what are the disciples? Here's the bag, here's the food. You know, let's, let's clean up the, the, the miracle. Let's, let's help you, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's be Jesus sort of, you know, the roadies on the, on the concert tour. That's what the disciples are doing. But in chapter 10, in a manner of speaking, what Jesus does on Monday, you can read almost, almost the exact words are used so you don't miss it. Jesus says to them on Tuesday, now it's your turn. Okay? I didn't, this is not just a spectator's sport. In fact, I'm not going to be here very long. They don't know this, but they're getting to understand the, the message that Jesus Christ is saying, listen, I'm going to extend this mission. I'm going to live out this mission through you, right? Through everyday people like you and everyday people like me, right? That's what Jesus is saying. You know, um, I was having a conversation with this, this uh, friend of mine uh, just in the last two weeks. And uh, she said to me, we we're talking about somebody else. And she goes, well, wait a minute. You know that guy? And, and, and it was a friend of mine, not a friend of hers. And she said, is he a real Christian? You know, like, I mean, before you go, is he a real Christian? Now, when you hear that, I don't know what you think. We all probably say that, right? When we say, is someone a real Christian? I'll tell you what it means to me when I hear that term. They mean that person, uh, they may go to church, they may self-identify as a Christian. But when I hear that question, is it a real Christian? In other words, is the power of God at work in their lives? When it comes to whatever it is, the the, the way in which they live their lives, they face the challenges of marriage if they're married. They face the challenges of being single if they're single. They face the challenges of money and ups and downs and career and all the things that happen in life. Are they facing those challenges do they have convictions, and are they, are they living, a, in other sense, a higher quality of life? Does the power of God manifest in their life in the context of those? Are they a real Christian? Not are they going to heaven when they die, but is the power of God at work in their life? Now, we often ask that question, but although, and we often think that of others, okay? But just in case you're wondering, people often think that about You and me. True story. Two weeks ago, I get an email. Pastor Rob, I don't know if you remember me, but I wanted to say that Simply Christian, the series we just finished, has been very motivating. Throughout the entire series, you encouraged us to pursue a relationship with God. Also, I think this series revealed your heart towards God. I've been away for some years, and I came back, and everything has changed, including your messages. You are more real now than years ago. Ha ha. (laughs) It appears like you've grown closer to God and to his word, or maybe I've grown. Whatever it is, it's a great season, and I'm excited to be back at Browncroft. Such a touching note, right? Last week, I see this woman. I don't know if she's here. I'll, I'll try not to stare. But anyway, and I said, I was just, oh, what a beautiful thing. And I said, hey, how are you? Welcome back. And she was talking to someone else I knew, and she had this funny look on her face. And I go, what gives? And she goes, oh, well, we were just talking about you. And I said, you were? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking oh, I bet you're telling, what a great sermon, you know, whatever. And she said, you were? And I go, yeah. And she goes, I go, what was it? And she goes, well, I, I don't want to say. It's not, I go, no, no, I want to hear. <laughs> she said, really? I said, no, it doesn't. I mean, I'm game. I'm, 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 I'm very secure. What, what, what was it? And she said, well, honestly, what I was telling her was that I, I, I'm just back. I, I haven't been here in many years, but, and I'm liking, I love it, like I said to you in my note. But she said, when I was here X years ago, I wasn't sure, when listening to you, that you were a Christian. She said, I wasn't, I didn't know, I wondered whether or not you were saved. I said, Huh. I said, well, the good news is apparently I'm making progress. (laughs) Uh, Okay? Listen, you might be a Christian, I might be a Christian on my way to heaven. That's a separate sermon, and it's God's grace is so rich. But the question is are you taking hold of God's power in your life? Okay? I, I, I still, in my life, 35 years of being a Christian, I still have opportunities. I wish it was every week, it's not. But to, to talk to someone who doesn't know Christ, to see their mind come alive in a way, to hear um, something taking place in their life, like you just heard in that video. Last Sunday was Father's Day. There was a guy in the service, a guy I went to high school with, not a Christian follower of Jesus as far as i know and he came and after the service we we had a little texting um uh, exchange and it was so encouraging when he talked. I really liked what Sam had to say, and I really appreciated this. And it really made me think about this. And just, just in just listening, being in that little text engagement, I'll tell you what, it, it all I had the same emotions I've had, you know, dozens and dozens of times in my life. And I said, God, this is so amazing. This brings such joy. And I'm still amazed, right, that you can use someone like me in a small way, like the past the friend from Megan's past, right? Just an unnamed person to help somebody else come into contact with the amazing grace and love of God. I listened to this podcast um, recently, and it was a symposium at Stanford University uh, um, and it was with these three very, very successful people. you know all three of these names. One of them was a very successful uh, medical doctor written in some na- book, uh, National Book Award books. One was a person, uh, an educator, and one was a media uh, personality. And they just, you know, they had these great resumes and they were talking to students about um, who do I want to be in the world and why do I want to be? X in the world. It was with a bunch of real smart um, college and graduate students, and and I listened to the whole thing, and at the end of it, they had Q&A, and one student got up there and said to these, you know, you guys are great, and you've all been had very successful careers. We all admire you. Here's my question for you. Have you experienced failure in your career? Because sometimes you can look at people and go, you know, they're just up into the right. Have you experienced failure in each one of them Said something very interesting, but the last one, this media uh, person that was a media, uh, you know, celebrity so to speak, said, "Listen, I have sat in rooms like this and heard people give my resume, you know, dozens of times." And she said, "You know, uh, the sad thing about it is, we, today we live in," she called it, "a presentation culture." Everything's about a presentation of who you are. But she says, let me tell you something. As I sit here and listen to what I do with my introduction, she says, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me let you in on the secret. She says, I know the real story of who I am. And every, as I look over the history of the last 25 years of my life, which was summarized in that little introduction, let me tell you something. Most of the time in when I was living out those 25 years, I felt like I was on the verge of Failure. And still to this day in my career, I second guess most of what I do, right? God doesn't use the perfect. God doesn't, the, 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 the men who are the subject or the women and the men who are the subject of this great sermon, they had been Christians for three years, right? Three years. Look at the names very quickly. These are the names of the 12 apostles, which is why I, I read these verses. First, is Peter, okay? The very first one. Now, you don't need to know a lot about your Bible to know this guy who was the first among equals of the apostles was a faithless, powerless, self-serving, impulsive, denied Jesus three times, okay? Now, two other names just, for, just to make the point. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Now, why do those guys get, you know, descriptions? It doesn't say John the fisherman or or Thaddeus the leather maker. Why Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot? I think I know why, okay? Four years of seminary, I learned one or two things, all right? Here's why. Because the, the writer's trying to make a point. A tax collector in Jesus' day was... Was the, was the most despised person in the Jewish community. The equivalent would be if I were a Jewish person working for the Nazis and, 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 and you know, serving, uh, collecting uh, fees or handing out cigarettes or doing something, working on behalf of the Nazis, this is a random example, but I was Jewish in the camps but I had special privileges, I would be considered a collaborator. And if I was a collaborator, I would be despised. That's how the tax collectors were. They worked for the Romans, but they fleeced their own people. Now, next to Matthew the tax collector is Simon the zealot. You say, what does that mean? You know what the zealots were? They were the revolutionaries of the first century, the IRA, the KLA, right? Those kind of revolutionary armies. They were the Jews who were the most orthodox, the most serious, that said, we're not just, we don't just believe X and Y. We're going to put our lives on the line for X, for Y, and we will go to war. We will be an insurrection against the Romans because we so feel that they have, um, are harming the, the, mission of, of the, 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 the message of the Jewish people, right? So to put a tax collector who's a collaborator with a revolutionary, we don't even have the equivalent in our political discourse. How is that possible? Matthew's trying to say. I'll tell you how it's possible. Because if you've been loved in the deepest place of who you are. If you've been made worthy in the deepest place of you, are, let me tell you two things that are gonna happen to you. Maybe it's happened to Megan, right? I'll tell you what. When your insecurities are satisfied, you know what goes away with your insecurities? A lot of your prejudice and your bias which are connected to your insecurities and in place of those insecurities and all that bias that we define ourselves with comes an ability to see and love other people the way that you haven't loved them before, okay? So you want to to really make a difference? You want to be a real Christian? You need to learn to take hold of God's power. Second, you need to fear God and not people, okay? Fear three times at the center of this passage, verse 26 to 31, three times Jesus says, do not be afraid. And then he really ramps it up you got to think about how Jesus teaches here. He says, listen, verse 28, don't be afraid of those who can, you know, scare you and, and flog you and throw you into prison. Don't be scared of those who can throw you into prison. Be scared of the one who can cast you into hell. All right? He's saying, let me, let me, let me, let me prioritize the, the, the fear of man and the fear of God. Now, you might think, gosh, that's not a very friendly sermon. But Jesus is trying to make a point. He's not, this isn't a fire and brimstone kind of sermon because right after that, it's full of love, right? Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? He's, he's, What's Jesus trying to do? It goes back to the very last verses we let, read. He's saying, listen, I'm trying to contextualize your fear. You see, many of us, he's saying, unless you're more tethered and connected to a loyalty to me, you're never gonna get very far in your witness for Jesus Christ because the fear of man is gonna keep you. You you might say, well, Rob, this passage doesn't do a lot for, it's not a great application for us because the vast majority of us in this room are never gonna be flogged, we're never gonna be thrown into prison, our faith is never going to be, um, we're not gonna be in trouble for being a Christian. You know what, I would say You're right. It's true in some places in the world. It's not true here, though. Although you might not be afraid to be flogged and arrested, I would venture to say that you are afraid of being judged as too narrow-minded. I think you are afraid of people saying that you know you're out of touch. I'm out of touch with the way people live today, right? And so because I don't want to be judged as narrow-minded, I don't want to be thought of as out of touch with the way people live today. When it comes to saying something about the gospel, I might just keep my mouth shut, right? Because the fear of man has now become more important to me than the obedience to Jesus Christ. But I would say this to you, right? We live in a culture, this culture, that is not only out of line with, let's say, the will of God, right, for people, but I would say even more than that, it's out of line with people's own best interests, right? But they're, they're caught in a trap of darkness. I'm gonna say something that you might think is very, it's kind of unpopular, and that is this. Most, a lot of the misery of the world, a lot of the misery in my life, it's not God's fault, <laughs> it's not the devil's fault, We're the author of our own misery, right? Because people are trapped in darkness. I just, uh, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but it it, it blows me away. I just read this article. I think it was Ohio State. I can't remember. There are now girls in college. There were three of them who I think are suing the, uh, 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 the, the, the NCAA and or the college because there are three boys who are now competing as girls no, no sex change operation, no drugs. They just self-identified. Woke up the next day and said, I, want to, I think I'm going to identify as a girl. Therefore, I can compete as a girl. And now these other girls who are great athletes are now not, you know, no longer getting the, winning these awards and they think it's affecting their ability to get into this sport and to, get, um, to take the next step in, in, in this sport. I'm thinking to myself, the world's losing. It's marvels, guys. I mean, really. If I would have told you that story 10 years ago, you'd say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But it's And I'm not, I'm not trying to make a big statement about that. I'm just saying, listen, there's a lot of confusion in the world. Right? There's a lot of confusion in the world. And you know what our calling is? This is unpopular, too. I've been a Christian for 30 some years and I've seen things change. You know what our calling is? Matthew, if you're a note taker, write Matthew 28. Many of you know this because you've been Christians for a long time. It says, Jesus says this, go into all the world. When he's talking to the 12 apostles, what Jesus did on Monday and they did on Tuesday, it was healing the sick, even raising the dead. But by the time you get to the Matthew 28, I'm not saying God doesn't heal anymore, but you know what the mission is? This is it. This is the one you and I get. It's been taught for churches for 2,000 years. Preach the word of God, baptizing them, as Megan was baptized, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, get ready for it, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And I'll see you, uh, you know, I'll be with you until the end of the days. Now, teaching them to obey the most of what I've commanded. Teaching them to obey what's culturally appropriate in your day and age. There's a lot of people. I'm in the boat, too. You know, and we, and we get to this place. We don't ever say this out loud, but we say, you know what? Jesus and the disciples got most of it right. Right? And I'm going to teach people to obey most of what God has to say. But in this area, they're a little fuddy-duddy. In this area, they've sort of missed the boat. And they never really foresaw this and that. So I'm going to teach people most of what God has to say. Not all, but I would, I would be willing to challenge that thinking to say that's not some sort of sophisticated theology. You know, we're smarter than, uh, than Augustine was and Luther was and like Calvin was and, and you know, and on and on and on. It's just we have the fear of man in a different way. See? Well, no one's flogging us. No one's throwing us like Galileo into prison for saying that the sun revolves around the earth. No one, we're much more sophisticated than that, but we have a different kind of fear. You know what our fear is? I don't want to be judged as narrow-minded. I don't want to be thought of as as fuddy-duddy that I'm out of touch with the way that people live. But let me tell you something. People are on their way to a godless hell. People are confused, and the world isn't getting any smarter. It's not getting any brighter. It's not about intellectual um, acuity. It's about the moral law of God, wake up. And you don't have to be in India to find spiritual darkness. And unless we can raise a bunch of people who have the courage and the convictions of their faith, that doesn't mean be a, put a sandwich board on. It doesn't mean be a, be a fundamentalist or a party X or part. I'm not talking about that foolishness, that ridiculous kind of stuff you see out there in the Christian world. I'm talking about the love of Jesus Christ getting a hold of you in the deepest part of who you are that brings you to a place where you're free of those insecurities or mostly free of them, and you're free of those foolish bias and prejudice, and you can go into a world and speak truth in love and help people find God and find truth and find salvation that's what we're talking about but you're not going to do it unless you fear god more than you fear people okay last point in this first sermon you need to decide to decide this is what jesus is saying here by the way many of you have heard this verse like me and it's it's one of these things out of context you would think jesus is out of touch or he's just a harsh teacher when well, he's not Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Is that Jesus or, you know, a narcissist? You know, I mean, what, what does that mean? Anyone who loves their father or more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more I mean, is not worthy of me. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying you need to care less about your family. He's saying you need to care more about me why I'll tell you what he's trying to do here he's trying to get past in his relationship with you and me the two most primal human emotions that there are you know what they are one is the fear of man it's as old as time it's the fear of man it's you and I in a, in a hundred different ways unwilling to live out our convictions because of the fear of man. And the second one is the primacy and love of family, right? Don't, you can say whatever you want, but don't say that about my wife. Don't say that about my son or my daughter or my mother or my cousin. And God made us this way, right? God made us this way. But he's saying, listen, unless I can bind myself to you and I can have a deeper bond with you than you have with the fear of man, which all of it, everyone in this room lives with it every day in one form or another, and a deeper bond than even the love you have for your daughter, son, and husband or wife, then I'm mean going to tell you something. You're only going to get so far in the mission that I've given to you because eventually you're going to get to a place, back to Simon, right? Who said, boy, I love Jesus until someone puts a, you know, threatens me in front of other people. Then I say, no, i never heard of the guy. Don't know who he is. The third time he says, he swore. Swore up and down, right? He's using dirty words, Peter, and saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Because of the fear of man. You need to decide, this is what Jesus is saying. This is the message of love if you read the whole thing. Is Jesus use um, strong language and, and you, know, uh, you know, fear him who can, who can cast you into hell instead of him who can cast you into the grave? Is he doing that to show you that he's strong because Jesus is a weak ego? No. He's trying to bind you to himself. He's saying, listen, if you and I, if, if, you'll un, if you'll believe that I'm the most important relationship in your life, if you'll commit with your heart of hearts to trust me, right? I know the hairs on your head. I know everything there is to know about. I know the thoughts and the fears that you have that you don't even know you have yet. You're gonna discover them three years from now about your wife or about your economy or I already know them. And if you're willing to trust me at that kind of level, then we can do great things together, Right? Anyone who loves anything in this world more than me, what he's, when he says not worthy of me, he's saying, listen, is going to be ineffective as a follower of Jesus. You might go to heaven when you die. <laughs> but when it comes to the mission, you're not a real Christian. That's what he's saying, okay? Three things, just to think about takeaways for this message. Decide to decide. And in some ways, you got to do this every day. Right, The Christian life, there's, there's no bank account. First one is I'm going to say this, just three things, and we're done. Decide for Jesus. What do I mean by that? This is what I think this passage says. You need to decide, I'm not talking about being perfect people. Look at James and John and Peter and, and Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. He's saying, you need to decide that your relationship with God, vis a vis Jesus, right? Be a Christian is the most important relationship in your life. It may not be perfect. It may be up and down. It's the most important relationship in your life. Is it, your, is it is that true for you? Is that true for me? Or is it sometimes true? Right? When, when, when I'm on the hot seat, when someone asks me an honest question, when I'm in the Peter seat or the John seat, and when someone, it, it, are my convictions going to stand? They're not going to stand if Jesus is not the most important relationship in my life. That's all he's saying. You need to decide that it is for you, right? Second, you need to decide against fear, okay? I don't need to be a psychologist or a philosopher or an anthropologist, and neither do you, to know that the greatest enemy in your life the greatest enemy in my life. And this could be true for a secular audience or a Christian audience. I promise you, when you and I wake up, if you believe in heaven, if you believe in you know, re- looking retrospectively back on your life and what could have been and what should have been, I promise you the thing that will have robbed you most of what you most thought you could have done or should have done in life is your fear. Right? Is your fear. Do not be afraid. You have to decide against fear and there's only one way that really works. It's not some self help thing. It's not some little, you know, tell or some little heuristic or some little way to memorize something. It's it's a life that is tethered to Jesus Christ where I fear him more than I fear others, where the fear of man no longer is running my life. You need to make a decision against fear. Last, we need to decide to tell others, right? What do I mean by that? Am I saying you need to be a missionary or be a pastor? No. Am I saying you need to put a sandwich board on and go to the jazz fest tonight? You know, no. I mean, maybe if that's what you want to do. Do it, but that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, right? You need to make a decision. You need to decide to decide. That it's not about whether or not you're super spiritual. It's not about whether or not the people in your office care. It's not whether about you, you, you don't really like your brother anyway. It, none of those things are, is what it's about. It's about that God has done something in your life and that the people in your life although they might look great and they might be engaged to be married and they might have a great job and, they, and in one way things look good on the outside but on the inside there's spiritual darkness and they're In a manner of speaking, there's misery and there's fear and there's desperation, right? Even with people in your office and in my neighborhood and in my home, okay? And we need to decide that we want to tell others, amen? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your your love and your grace and... Lord, uh, who knows? I may have got three things wrong, or 13 in this message. I don't know. But I know that you um, are a sovereign God. I know that your love is beyond measure, right? Uh, it's depth, it's height, it's breadth. I know, Lord, that, I, that we, are, we, are, um, we have to trust you because our knowledge of our own lives, not to mention others and the future, is so, so limited. God, help us to um, grab hold of the tr- what it truly means to be a Christian. Help us to know, Lord, that as Christians, we are in your hand and your hand is in the hand of the Father that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus, nor height, nor depth, nor the past, nor the presence, nor angels, nor demons. I mean, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are anchored. We are tethered to you. And give us, Lord, the faith to be able to trust you and to live out our faith with with confidence and conviction and um, and in love to the to the people all around us, who um, help us not to be fooled by um, you know superficial or you know um, uh, exterior things, but to know that um, Lord, uh, there is real need, real uh, desperation in the hearts and minds, and that you're calling us, Lord to be your messengers, to be your um, um, servants, to do to you, As, as the Father hath sent me, so I am sending you. Help us to know that even today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.